Hey, today we're beginning a new series of messages called Bad Blood, and I'm really excited about this series because I'm not that creative of a person. And so when I get an idea that I think is a, is a really good idea or a creative idea about a sermon series or an individual sermon, I get excited about working on that series. And so a few years ago, when I was a youth minister in Glasgow and I was working as the interim uh, senior minister, I had this idea for, uh, for a series that I wanted to do called Swifties. Now, some of you immediately recognize that term. Most of you don't, and that's okay. But I want to do this sermon series called Swifties, and I want to take Taylor Swift songs, okay, and tie, make, make some connections to, to topics uh, that you could find in Scripture and, and relate them that way. And, and I, I was really excited about that idea. And here's something else that you probably didn't know about me that you need to know about me. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan, okay? Now, for some of you, I should say, was a big Taylor Swift fan. Because I'm not so much of a fan of her new recent stuff. I mean, you can look at me and tell I'm not really that much into hip-hop and pop and that kind of stuff. I'm a country guy. And so I really like Taylor Swift country stuff. I'm a big fan of that stuff. And so I came up with this idea. I was going to call it Swifties. I had all kinds of ideas about what I would, what I would do. And so in my eagerness to work on this series, I, I told my wife, my, my loving and beautiful and adoring and encouraging wife, who I always listen to, and she told me it was a dumb idea. So I kind of put it to the shelf, and I never really worked on developing that series any more than that. And so this is, series is kind of a mix of that, because you'll notice the series title is called Bad Blood, which is one of the last really kind of country songs that Taylor Swift did, and, and a song that I'm a big fan of. And, and so if you're a fan of Taylor Swift, you'll recognize some things throughout the series that are just kind of thrown in there for you. Um, if you're not a fan of Taylor Swift, You'll think, okay, whatever, and it'll be fine. But, but anyway, here's the bottom line. I'm going to give you the bottom line of this series right up front, okay? So if this is what our entire series is about. If you have a relationship that's characterized by bad blood, or have had a relationship that's been characterized by bad blood, let's just see a show of hands. You don't have to name people, but if you've ever had a relationship that you would characterize as a relationship with bad blood in it, all right, then this series is for you. And, and I want you to know this about, about those relationships, that you can have peace about the relationship, even if there's never peace in the relationship. All right? You can have peace about that relationship, that relationship that's characterized by bad blood, even if there's never peace in the relationship, which will ultimately lead to happiness and greater joy in your own life, which I think everybody wants. And so today we're going to look at something that the Apostle Paul wrote. And Paul was talking about, uh, or Mike, excuse me, they, they were contemporaries. Mike was talking about Paul's uh, preaching in, in Troas and, and Eutychus, Eutychus, you know, he didn't cuss because he fell out the window. He, fell, he cussed because after Paul raised him back from the dead, Paul started preaching again. It's like, we thought, we thought this was the, the church ender, like that, we were done. Now, Paul... You all know this, if you know anything about the New Testament. He was a prolific writer. He wrote most of the New Testament. He, he was trained as an attorney. And in his letter to the Roman church, he makes a statement that we're going to look at today. It's just one verse that we're going to look at. And it's found in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. And he says this. He says, live at peace with everyone. <laughs> now immediately, most of us kind of laugh at that statement, don't we? Live at peace with everyone. Paul, you must have not had a mother-in-law, right? Paul, you never had a, a super annoying co-worker. Paul, you, you, you probably never had a roommate. Live at peace with everyone. That's like the most pie-in-the-sky, kind of lofty, 
like vision statement that's not really attainable kind of kind of statement that, that you could ever make, right? I mean, you think about live at peace with everyone. That that just seems so ludicrous to even suggest that idea. And I think the hardest thing to grasp about what Paul says here about the weight of this statement is who it's coming from. I mean, if we could even begin to understand how much bad blood Paul actually had in his own life, it would make the weight of these words even more powerful. I mean, Paul was up to his eyeballs in bad blood. I mean, think about this for a minute. He was a man who, in his former life, before he became a Christian, had persecuted Christians. He, he was a self-proclaimed zealot. He was out to get anybody who called themselves a Christian. He, he would persecute them, imprison them, even oversee the death of them. And then in a moment, just like that, Paul flipped. His entire life flipped. He went from being a hater of the church to a pioneer in the church. And just from kind of a historical perspective, we look back on that and we think, we think wow, man, that, that's really great. Good for you, Paul. Like You, you, you saw the light, literally. And, and you went from, from hating people and persecuting people and you started helping people. That's, that's really remarkable. But what I don't think we can overestimate is how challenging this had to be for Paul in relationships. I mean, think about this. Paul, Paul was now trying to have relationships with people that he had persecuted, with, with maybe family members of people that he had sent to prison or had had killed. And then on the other side, it, there's, there's this group of people that he was once friends with, that he was once co-workers with, that he was once you know, kind of on the same team with, and now they're enemies. They're no longer playing on the, on the same team. They're no longer on the same sheet of music. They're enemies. And so Paul, he makes this statement, live at peace with everyone. you got to be kidding me, right? But Paul understands that if you can live at peace with everyone, it'll make your life better. And you'll enjoy life better. You'll enjoy life. Nobody likes relationships that are, that are characterized by bad blood. Nobody enjoys those relationships. And Paul understands that if you can live at peace with everyone, then your life will ultimately be better. But he throws in a couple of phrases, and we've got to understand these phrases. And the first one is this. He says, if it is possible, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, live at peace with everyone, meaning that it might not be possible. Meaning that, you know, I've tried to live at peace with them, and it just hasn't happened yet. But, but I've tried. I, I and it's like he would say, I just know that if it's possible, you should try to live at peace with everyone. And there's two sides to this, right? There's two sides to that kind of statement. There's the side of, I've tried, I've done everything that I know to do to live at peace with this person, and it just hasn't happened yet. We, we are just not there. We're not getting there. We're not going to get there. And then there's the other side of that where, you know, you're in a relationship with someone and that relationship is characterized by kindness and good health and 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 you know goodwill for each other and, and Paul probably had relationships that he with, with people that he thought he'd never be able to have because he didn't think he could live at peace with them and he probably also had relationships with people that or didn't have relationships with people that he thought he would be able to and so Paul says live at peace with everyone if it is possible she says I'm just telling you the, the good news is that it might be possible the, the relationship that you've had for a long time that has been just characterized by so much bad blood, it might be possible for you to reconcile that relationship. But the bad news is that it might never be possible. If it is possible. 
And so Paul would tell us that, and the same thing is true for us, right? That relationship that, that we want so badly to have peace in. It, it might not ever happen, but listen to this. The, the pursuit of peace, even without the promise of peace, is not a pointless pursuit. The pursuit of peace, even without the promise, look, you may never get peace in your relationship, but the pursuit of peace is not a pointless pursuit. And then Paul gives us another phrase, and this one's really the kicker. This is the phrase that you lay all your chips out on the table, uh, and, and this is kind of the, the one that everything hinges on this phrase, and Paul says this. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Look, look at these words, as far as it depends on you. In other words, I don't know if it's going to be possible. I've seen it where, where I thought it would happen, and it's not happening. I've seen it where I thought it would never happen, and it's happening. And Paul would say, you know, I can't take back what I did, but, but I've done everything I know to pursue peace with this person, as far as it depends on you. And what a powerful phrase that is. So I just want to spend a few minutes unpacking some of the, the words in this phrase. Look, look at this. He says, as far as it depends on you. As far as it depends on, on you. You ever heard the phrase, you do you? Anybody ever heard that phrase? We kind of say, you do you. It's, it's, you know, when your kids are getting ready to go out to school in the morning, and you tell them, have a great day, and all that kind of stuff. You say, hey, you know, have a great day. You, you do you. And it's just a, a term that we've a current term, a pop culture term, that's just a way of saying, hey, be yourself. You know, you got, you got a friend that's kind of primping for an interview or, or a date or something, and you're like, hey, you don't need to do all that makeup and all that kind of stuff. Just you, you do you, right? Or you got a friend that's going, getting ready to go into their boss's office and ask for, for a raise, and, and you're like, yeah, I don't think you're going to get it, but, you know, hey, you, you just go in there and you do you. You, you be you. Go in there and tell your boss what you think's up and, and all that kind of stuff, Right? But I want to change the meaning of this, for, of this phrase for just a second because that's an indictment. This phrase is really an, an indictment on the narcissistic culture that we live in. But I want to talk about why he says, as far as it depends on you. Because in a relationship that's characterized by bad blood, where do you spend all of your energy at? Where do you spend all your energy? On the other person, right? On the other person, all of your energy is directed at them. It, you know, if they would change, if they would stop, if, if they would just get over themselves, if they would stop being so selfish, if they would just pay me back, then we could have a relationship. And Paul says, I'm just telling you, it is, if it is possible, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, not them, as far as it depends on you, you got to stop talking about them. So let's talk about what depends on you. Let's talk about what depends on me. What can I do about this? Because he says, as far as it depends on you. Depends. Look at that word. And, and this word, it has a, a whole different meaning in our culture now because of some products that are out there for, and, and I don't want to get into that. That'd be a whole other messy situation. But, but he says, as far as it depends on you. Let, let me just ask you this. What depends on you? What is it that depends on you? In the relationship, what depends on you? In, in a relationship, you've got to figure out what depends on you. All right, let me give you an example of this, kind of what I'm talking about. When, when the boys were younger, we were living in Glasgow at the time, and, and I think they were probably seven and six, maybe, maybe five and six, I don't know. And, and one Saturday morning, and you, you need to know about this about me too, and some of you do, is I'm not a morning person. I've never been one. I'm still not one. I hate mornings. 
And so one Saturday morning, and, and if you're not a morning person, then you know like one of your most prized possessions is Saturday mornings because that's the morning that you're typically able to sleep in a little bit more. Or, or you know, maybe you've got a different job, you know, you've got a job where you have to work Saturday mornings. And so there's one day in the week where you get to sleep in a little bit more. And when something just throws that off, man, it just ruins everything. And so this particular Saturday morning, the boys were already up and, and they're playing and they're, being, they're just being loud. Like they're, they're being good, but they're just being loud. And loud enough that like me yelling from the bed isn't going to stop them. And so now I've got to get up. And that, so I'm up much earlier than I want to be. And I'm walking down the hallway. And as I'm walking down the hallway to go into the living room, I step on a Lego. Now... There's two kinds of pain in the world. There's like general pain, like, ow, oh, that hurt, like this wasn't great kind of thing. And then there's step on a Lego pain. And that's like up here, like, I'll put that right underneath kidney stone pain. Like, they're, they're pretty similar. And so, like, I just, I just started yelling at the boys because, you know, I'm, I'm mad now. I'm just, I'm yelling at them, I'm like, hey, go to your room, no, get back here and clean this mess up, go to your, no, get back here, and all that kind of stuff, and I don't know where Christy's at, she's sitting in the corner somewhere, and she's just kind of looking at me like, you're an idiot, you're going to regret this, I get that look, I get that look a lot, but, but I just, I just lost it, as, as, as a parent, hopefully you can relate to, I'm sure none of you all as parents ever lose it, but like, I just, I just lost it that day, and so anyway, a couple of days later, the boys are playing, and all of a sudden, they're just arguing. And it's one of those things where, like, they, they were fine. They're, they're in their room together playing, and they're, they're getting along great. It's, it's a little Kodak moment. We're all just one big happy family, right? And then something happened, and they're just screaming at each other. And just like, I mean, just like that, it was on. And so I go in there to check on them. I'm like, hey, what's, what's going on with you? Like, how do you go from everything's good to all of a sudden you're just you're yelling at each other, you knocked this over and that kind of stuff. I'm like, how do you do that? And they both, they just looked at me and they said, well, we're just doing what you did the other day when we were cleaning up the house. And I'm like, hey, don't bring that into this. Like, that was last week. Don't bring that into this. But see, what depends on you? If, if this little chart I've got up here, if that, if that represents your situation, this little, little pie chart, you got to own your piece of the pie. You got to own your piece of pie. This depends on me. You, you know, you're right. I, I displayed that behavior and now you're mimicking that behavior. You know, you're right. I, I said that and I shouldn't have. You know what? You, you're right. I did do that. This depends on me. You got to own your piece of the pie. And maybe your piece of the pie isn't even that big of a piece. Maybe it's just a little, a, a little sliver. But you got to own what depends on you. And then Paul, he, he uses this language. He says, as far as it depends on you, meaning that there's a distance to this. There's a, there's a length to this. See, maybe you think that you've done everything that you know to do to, to have peace in this relationship. Maybe you feel like you've gone as far as you, can, as you can possibly go. Let me ask you a question. Can you go any further? Can you go any further? You know, maybe you, you all don't speak at all right now. Can you do something, you know, to, that would take one step more? You know, m maybe there, there's not a relationship right now, but when you wake up in the morning, it, are you even open to the idea that there's something that you could do to take a step further? And maybe you're thinking, wait a, wait a minute, Adam. I, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, there got, there's got to be a time when enough is enough, right? There's got to be a time when, when we say it's, it's irresponsible and, and inappropriate for me to go any further for that. And if you're thinking that, well, that's, that's okay. 
and I just want to tell you, you got to come back for the next couple of weeks because we're going to talk about those kind of things. We're going to talk about this idea of boundaries and when it's appropriate and, and responsible for us to say, hey, enough is enough. When, when you should say, I'm not taking any more steps further. But until then, let me just ask you, can you go any further? Are, are you willing to take one more step? Because peace is possible for you when you've done all that you know you can do. Peace is possible, but it's only possible when you've done all that you can do. And peace is possible when you, you can look in the mirror, when you can sit among your friends and, and people that you know and love and trust, and they say, you know what, I think you're right. I think you've done all that you can do. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Look, I know we don't have a whole lot of time left this morning, but in the, the next couple of minutes that we've got left, I just I want to share with you just the one step that I think all of us could take. In fact, I think it's the most powerful step in, in regards to being able to say, as far as it depends on me, that you know, I've done everything that I know to do, I'm going to try and live at peace with everyone. And, and I've had this idea of, you know, off and on for a long time, but it really was kind of solidified for me a couple of weeks ago uh, at our golf scramble. Now, you need to know this. I'm not a good golfer. In fact, if you've played golf with me, you know that, right? Like, you, right, yeah. You don't, you don't want to, you want to be on my team in a golf scramble because I usually stack my team. But, but it's not, we don't win because of me. We win because I bring in really good players. Um, there's another phrase that I used to use that my son quotes me on all the time. says, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And, and that's kind of where I fall in golf scrambles. But, but, but this, uh, this idea, it kind of really solidified for me a couple of weeks ago uh, while we were, we were playing golf. And, and you've seen people putt, right? Like, how many of you have ever seen golf, watched golf, played golf? Like, all right, so all of us, right, at some point we have seen this happen. What do, what do people do when they're putting? When, when they get on the green, they're, they're putting. They, they get down and they, they, they look real intently at the green. They get behind the ball and, and they're, they, they hold their club up like this. And I don't know why they do this because it just obstructs my view. Like I can't see anything when they do this. But they're looking for the, the grain uh, uh, and the slope of the green. And they're looking how, at which way the ball is going to break. Which might also be one of the reasons why I'm not a good golfer. Not not all of the reasons, but one of the reasons, because I typically just get up there and putt. Like, I don't really care which way it's going to go. It's going to take me two more putts to get it in there anyway. So, but what do pro golfers do, and really just those who are anybody that's decent at golf? Because they don't just stop and look at the putt from behind, right? They don't just sit here and look, if the ball's here, look here. What do they do? They take the long walk around, right? And they go to the other side. And they look at the putt from the other side. And what are they looking for there? Because they're not getting ready for a different round, right? They're, they're looking at the same putt. But they've taken the long walk around to the other side to see if there's something there that, that changes the way that they're looking at this putt. I'm going to set that down before I drop it. But. And, and, and here's the thing. What do we see from, from this side? Usually most of it. 80 to 90% of everything that we're looking for we can see from this side. But sometimes, occasionally, every now and then, when you take that long walk around to the other side, you see something that changes everything. You see it from a different perspective. You see something on this side that is going to change the way you would approach everything from this side. So let's talk about our bad blood. Let's talk about the relationship that is, that is characterized by, by me and you. Let's just say that this is 
me and you. And we've got a good relationship. Things are going well. Our relationship is characterized by, by health and kindness and mutual respect and mutual submission. We want good for each other. And then all of a sudden, something happens and there's bad blood. There's, there's bad blood in the relationship and it's like, did you hear what happened? And, and I couldn't believe what they did. And, and now all of a sudden, this relationship that was once healthy is now characterized by dissidence. There, there's something tragic that has happened in the middle between us and now there's bad blood. Or maybe you would say your relationship doesn't look like that. Maybe your relationship looks more like this, where it's a, it's a frenemy. You know, it's like one day we're, we're great and our relationship is great, and then the next day it's just chaos. One day we're, we're best friends, and the next day we're, we're mortal enemies. One day we're fine, and the next day it's like I don't even know what's going on with them, but there's just, there's just drama with them all of the time. This is the relationship that you would say, I don't even know what to say about this relationship other than it's just, it's, it's complicated, right? And then God forbid there's the relationship that looks like this where we don't even talk anymore. Where, where we're not connected anymore. The step that I think that we could all take that would change so much for all of us is the step of empathy. The step of empathy, the, the long walk around to the other side to, and, and, and to, to see it from a different perspective, to see things from a different perspective. I'm going to feel it in a different way. I'm going to see it in, in a way that I've never seen it before. Brene Brown is a, is a researcher and professor. She used to teach at the University of Houston. I'm not sure if she still teaches there or not, but she has a TED Talk that's one of the most uh, watched TED Talks in, in all of the history of TED Talks. It, it's, you can YouTube it and you'll find it very quickly. Um, but she's written about empathy and the power of empathy. And, and the work that she's done on the power of empathy, it really is, it's just incredible. But empathy, she says, empathy is the central tool in regards to creating healthy relationships. Empathy, if you want to have a healthy relationship, you need to, to practice empathy. She says empathy is the central tool in regards to creating healthy relationships. And with the help of another researcher named uh, Teresa Wiseman, she lays out four qualities of empathy. And I just want to run through these real quick because I think they're so incredibly helpful. And so number one is this, is taking on their perspective as truth. Remember, these are qualities of empathy. Taking on their perspective as truth. When you walk to the other side and, and, and you take their perspective, you look at how they're seeing things and you say, hey, this must be true for them because that's what we do, don't we? And so you say, you say seeing it from their perspective, it makes sense. And when we suspend our judgment and you take on their perspective as truth, then you suspend your own judgment and you, you say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to say that my feelings aren't valid. I, I see from this side maybe what they're talking about. And I'm not saying that my feelings aren't valid or that they're not important, but I'm just going to suspend my judgment for a moment. And I'm going to take on their perspective as truth. And then I'm going to recognize their emotion. I'm going to recognize what he was feeling. I'm going to recognize what she was feeling in the relationship. And then, and this is the hardest part, is I'm going to communicate that emotion. I, I'm going to communicate it. I, I, maybe I'm going to tell them. Maybe I'm going to tell a, a close trusted friend. Maybe I'm just going to write it down. But I'm going to take on their perspective as truth. And I'm going to suspend my own judgment. And then I'm going to recognize their emotion. And then I'm going to actually articulate that emotion. And, and you need to know this. That this is very different from sympathy. Em empathy and sympathy are, are they're similar words. But they're very different. Because sympathy. Sympathy is acknowledging is you acknowledge what the other person feels. But empathy, however, is feeling what the other person feels. And the only way that you can do that is when you take the long walk around 
and begin to see things from their side of, of the tracks. I'm just telling you, in any difficult relationship, any relationship that's characterized by bad blood, empathy can be the key to opening a dialogue that leads to a healthy relationship. Empathy. It's, hey, you know, hey, I need to hear your whole story. Hey, I need to understand what you're feeling. Hey, I, I need to put myself in your shoes. Listen, listen, Taylor was right. Band-aids don't fix bullet holes. But you continuing to approach the bad blood from your own side, that's not going to help you either. As long as you continue to look at it from your side, you're going to continue to reaffirm what you already know, what you already feel. If you want to find peace in the relationship, and certainly about the relationship, maybe peace in the relationship never happens, but you want to find peace about that relationship, you have to take the long walk around. Because empathy doesn't fix bullet holes either. But empathy is the first aid for bad blood. You can have peace about the relationship, even if there's never peace in the relationship. But it all starts with empathy. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Let me pray for us.